Hello, this is Search for Truth. Thanks for tuning in. This is John Martin introducing Brian Johnston, our Search for Truth Bible teacher. Tomorrow's headlines is the theme for this series, and today Brian describes from the Bible the tremendous forces at work in the world in the months and years to come. It is absolutely awesome as the Bible predicts God's plan for this world, so it's even more important to give our faith and allegiance to God who will bring peace to the world and destroy all the forces of evil and disobedience. Let's take some encouragement from our singers as they sing to us the hymn Our God Reigns. Today, we'll be exploring a little about the end of the Antichrist's reign of terror. The Bible prophet Daniel writes about his end like this. He will pitch the tents of his royal pavilion between the seas and the beautiful holy mountain. Yet he will come to his end and no one will help him. Between the Mediterranean and Dead Seas lies the beautiful holy mountain of Jerusalem. The Antichrist and his allies go there not knowing that their end is nigh. It's interesting to remember that this world leader, the lawless one, as the Apostle Paul describes him, first appeared on the scene as a man of peace. He was hailed as the answer to Europe's prayers. In a masterstroke, beyond the imagination of any of today's political pundits, he resolved the long-standing issue of Middle Eastern conflict, much to the relief and admiration of the international community. But within three and a half years, he showed his true colours, meriting the Bible's characterisation of him as the beast. His thirst for power seems insatiable. He seems to hold the world spellbound. When he recovers from a fatal wound, the world stands in awe of him. The Apostle John wrote in Revelation, Who is like the beast, and who is able to wage war with him? The earth 
and those who dwell in it worship the beast, whose fatal wound was healed. This world is not yet done with emperors who pursue world domination and demand divine honours. This latter-day Caesar, in his ongoing attempt to eradicate any remaining pockets of resistance, finally turns his attention on Jerusalem. His relationship with Israel and Jerusalem is a complex one. Seven years earlier, he'd signed the famous peace deal that had paved the way for the building of the third Jewish temple there. But in three and a half years, he was back, no longer as a benefactor, but as a desecrator. It was around that time that many Jews fled the land of Israel, while others preferred terrible persecution rather than acknowledge this false Messiah. Roots of anti-Semitism run deep and with a most definite satanic twist. Satan's antagonism against them is unmasked by the Apostle John. We are told it's due to the fact that the Jews were God's chosen vehicle in bringing the Son of God into human experience. The planned, sacrificial death of Jesus Christ on a Roman cross sealed Satan's own fate, and in a vain fury at his own inability to frustrate God's purpose through Jesus Christ, Satan's hostility turned against the Jews instead. The Apostle John saw it all under the imagery of Satan as the dragon and Israel as the woman. And when the dragon saw that he was thrown down to the earth, he persecuted the woman who gave birth to the male child, that's Jesus. And the two wings of the great eagle were given to the woman in order that she might fly into the wilderness to her place where she was nourished for a time and times and half a time from the presence of the serpent. And the dragon was enraged with the woman and went off to make war with the rest of her offspring who keep the commandments of God and hold to the testimony of Jesus. So ultimately, there's something deeply satanic about anti-Semitism, the persecution of Jews. Israel's Yad Vashem Holocaust Museum is currently a moving reminder of the Holocaust when six million Jews were wiped out during the war against Nazism. Sadly, Europe has not yet learned its lesson. During the second half of the reign of the world dictator known biblically as the Beast, there will be a time of unprecedented tribulation for the nation of Israel especially, but affecting all who refuse to own allegiance to the man then at the helm of Europe. A fearful, final holocaust will take its terrible toll in the death camps of the beast. We hear John's words. If anyone is destined for captivity, to captivity he goes. If anyone kills with the sword, with the sword he must be killed. As the pocket of Israeli resistance intensifies, the prophet Daniel predicts this leader will again visit the land of Israel. But the visit will take the form of forcible entry. Daniel says he will stretch out his hand against other countries. He will gain control. At this point, he seems to be in the business of settling scores or is engaged in mopping up operations. Energised by a satanic hatred of Jews, 
his attention finally shifts to Jerusalem. This will be his last mission. Jerusalem becomes ground zero. As with all his allies, he moves to eliminate the last Jewish resistance there. We'll let the prophet Joel take up the story, for the script is already written. Proclaim this among the nations. Prepare a war. Rouse the mighty men. Let all the soldiers draw near. Let them come up. Beat your ploughshares into swords and your pruning hooks into spears. Let the weak say, I am a mighty man. Hasten and come, all you surrounding nations, and gather yourselves there. Bring down, O Lord, your mighty ones. Let the nations be aroused and come up to the valley of Jehoshaphat, for there I will sit to judge all the surrounding nations. Put in the sickle, for the harvest is ripe. Come, tread, for the winepress is full, the vats overflow, for their wickedness is great. Multitudes, multitudes in the valley of decision, for the day of the Lord is near in the valley of decision. Yes, multitudes in the valley of decision, but the outcome has already been decided. The outcome of this last attack on Jerusalem before Christ returns to earth is not in any doubt. This valley of decision may well turn out to be the one that runs to the east of Jerusalem city, dividing it from the Mount of Olives. Certainly, the prophet Zechariah makes mention of a very special event at the Mount of Olives, in what must be another description of this same battle. For I will gather all the nations against Jerusalem to battle, and the city will be captured, the houses plundered, the women ravished, and half of the city exiled, but the rest of the people will not be cut off from the city. Then the Lord will go forth and fight against those nations, as when he fights on a day of battle. And in that day his feet will stand on the Mount of Olives, which is in front of Jerusalem on the east, and the Mount of Olives will be split in its middle from east to west by a very large valley, so that half of the mountain will move toward the north and the other half toward the south. The reason this battle is decisive is that it's brought to an end by the return of the Lord Jesus Christ to liberate Jerusalem. This is the second stage of Christ's second advent. In this series, we've already anticipated this event when we quoted Paul as he in turn quoted Isaiah's forecast that a deliverer would come to Zion and to those who turn from transgression in Jacob declares the Lord. This is God's mighty intervention on behalf of his ancient people. The touchdown of the Lord's feet on the Mount of Olives settles this climactic showdown with the Antichrist. The Lord descends on the spot from which 2,000 years ago he ascended after his resurrection. The Apostle John in his last book of the Revelation draws aside the veil and sees the Lord returning at the same point in time at the head of the armies of heaven, and with the result that the beast, or Antichrist, was seized, and with him the false prophet, who performed the signs in his presence, by which he deceived those who had received the mark of the beast, and those who worshipped his image, these two 
were thrown alive into the lake of fire which burns with brimstone. God does move in a mysterious way to perform his wonders and miraculous signs, and how encouraging it is to know that God has got the whole wide world in his hands. Before I give you details of how you can contact us, let's enjoy hearing some of this old spiritual song from our singers. He's got the whole wide world in his hands, he's got the whole wide world in his hands, he's got the whole wide world in his hands, he's got the whole world in his hands. He's got everybody here in his hands, he's got everybody here in his hands, he's got everybody here. You can write to Brian at Search for Truth, Box 246, Bolton, England, if you want to ask about anything you've heard today or in the series. There's a free booklet covering all 12 programmes. Why not send for a copy and additional copies for friends or a Christian study group who might enjoy using it as a basis for study or discussion? Just ask for the title, Tomorrow's Headlines, to the same address, Search for Truth, Box 246, Bolton, England. Listeners in Australia should please write to Search for Truth, Box 748, Ringwood, Victoria 3134. You can also use email. The address, sft at churchesofgod.info or visit our website, www.searchfortruth.net. Thanks once again for the privilege of your company. I hope you can join us at the same time next week. Until then, on behalf of Brian and Dave Shaw, our sound technician, this is John Martin saying goodbye and God bless. He's got the